Well, we are in a series here called Life in the Third Person. And by third person, we're talking about the third person of the Trinity, uh, who, who is oft neglected in church circles. And when he's not neglected, he's misunderstood. And so very important that we understand him properly. And so we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. We looked at who the Holy Spirit is, and he is a who. He's not an it. Amen? And then we looked at what the Lord Jesus had to say about him in the Gospel of John. And then we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, there in Acts chapter 2 when he came. And and he came in a unique, new, fresh way, the indwelling of the Spirit. Not just coming upon people for temporary purposes, but a permanent indwelling of the believer. And then we looked at the various aspects of his ministry, his baptism, by which all believers are immersed in the Spirit, whereby... Uh, all that is true of Jesus becomes true of you. We looked at the, uh, the regenerating work of the Spirit that is transformative, where you become something altogether different from what you are. We looked at the sealing of the Spirit, where you are sealed for a purpose. You are sealed in your identity of righteousness. You are sealed in your salvation. You cannot lose it. Uh, it is permanent. He has come to indwell in a permanent way. And then we looked at the, the, uh, the intercession of the Spirit. And this is one of my favorite aspects of his ministry, where when you don't know how to pray, he prays for you. Amen? Isn't that good to know? Fill you with confidence there? Just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And tonight we're going we're gonna to begin a, a descent on this series. We could, we could stay in this series for years, really, and never touch the bottom of the Holy Spirit, all that the Word of God has to teach us, but, uh, but we got to move on to some other awesome parts of the Word, but I want to share with you something very exciting. We're going to spend about three weeks doing this, and it's on the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to begin talking about that tonight, and uh, as we knock on the door of December, used to be when you were a kid, remember how it always took forever for December to get here? Christmas would come and then it would just be an eternity before it would come back around. Now, when you're an adult, everything flies, right? Especially once the holidays start. I mean, it's just a blur. I can't hardly catch my breath. I can't believe it's almost December. I got so much to do and to plan for. But as a kid, man, it just, it just takes forever. And why is that? It's because when you're young and you're immature, what are you obsessed with? You're obsessed with presents, the gifts that you're going to receive, and you make your list of your, your desired presence, and you give it to your parents, you're like, here's page one of 25, you know? And you put all your favorite ones at the top, you know, your Red Ryder BB gun or whatever it is. You shoot your eye out. And, uh, and so you give them that. Well, I recall one day in particular when I was a kid, I don't know why, but for some reason, I mostly had the house to myself. I think my parents were working outside, or they were up the street, friend's house, or something, but I was in the house alone, and the tempter speaks to me, and he says, you know, you could snoop around a little bit, and you could see how mom and dad did with your list, you know, and so I'm, I'm caving to temptation, and I'm snooping around, and I've already checked the bedroom, you know, mom and dad's room, I've checked under the bed, and I've looked in the hall closet, and I make my way up to dad's office. And I go in there, and I'm looking behind this and that, and I'm pulling books off the shelf, and I'm looking, and and I see the closet in the corner, and I make my way over there, and I open that door, and I look in there, and I'm moving stuff around, and I see a bag, and that bag is from the local toy store in the mall. And I pull that bag down, and I see the box, and I recognize the box, and it was one of the toys on my list. And then I suddenly felt awful. I mean, I felt lower than low because there was a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach and it dawned on me, I was not supposed to know what I was getting. There was something about the discovery of the gift at the proper time that was important. And I just ruined that. I now knew what my gift was. And so I quickly, I covered it back up and I shut that door and I just felt awful and All the way to Christmas, I felt awful. And I remember sitting on the sofa on Christmas morning, and we'd already read the the, the account from Luke 2, and now it was time to open presents. And I'm just, I feel like scum, you know. And, And then they said, well, here's one for Micah, my little brother. And so they put a box in front of Micah, and he opens that box. It's the present I thought I was gonna get. 
And so for a minute, I was relieved that I hadn't wrecked the surprise for me. But then that relief was replaced by a new sensation, jealousy. Because I wanted that, you know? And, uh, but, but the key point here is that discovery is an important component of your gift. It's not just the gift. The, part of the joy in the journey is discovering your gift. Have you discovered the gift or gifts that the Father, that the Spirit has granted you as a believer? If you haven't, my hope is by the end of the series, you will. And if not by the end of the series, then at some point, in your experience as part of the Lamb's Chapel, you will discover your gift. And so we're going to begin to look at spiritual gifts tonight. I'm going to show you a variety of gifts. But the big thought we want to begin with in your notes is this. What are these spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are innate spiritual desires and abilities to serve the body of Christ. And that's a very important thing. I was talking with somebody just before this message tonight, and they were talking about somebody has a a gift that people have recognized, but they don't enjoy this gift. And we were, as we were talking, uh, they exercise this gift in areas that are not really affiliated with the body of Christ. And so I think this is an important point, that these gifts are for the body. They are designed to work within the context of other believers. And so I think that's a very important thing to understand. Now, there are many words for gift in your New Testament. I want to go over some of those just to get rolling here tonight. In your notes, uh, there's one word used for gift. It's the word dorea. Dorea. Not doremi. Not diarrhea. Dorea. All right? And what this refers to in your notes is this is the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit himself is a gift. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, this is on Pentecost, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? What is it that we do to obtain salvation? We don't do anything. We just receive, don't we? We don't earn it, we receive it. So that's what Dorea is, it's a free gift. And the gift is salvation. How is salvation possible? You receive the Holy Spirit. Can anybody be a Christian without having received the Holy Spirit? No, you are not born again without receiving the Holy Spirit. That is, in essence, what you're doing. When you are saved, it is the reception of the Holy Spirit. He enters you, okay? And this phrase, the gift of the Holy Spirit, does not mean something outside of the Spirit. It's the Spirit himself. He is a gift. Uh, Acts 11, this is Peter's testimony here. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us. At the beginning, at the beginning of what? The beginning of the church age, Acts 2, when the Spirit came. He said, now remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then look at this, verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit and he refers to him as a gift. He's a gift, Okay, if you're a Christian, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the initial gift. All the other gifts that we're going to talk about, mercy and teaching and prophecy and, and uh, giving and all these other things, those all are made possible by the reception of this gift right here. This gift is the initial gift. There's a theory out there about spiritual gifts that there's something you're born with, and uh, that when you become a Christian and you begin to mature, then you begin to learn to use that which you were born with. There's a Greek word for that theory, baloney. All right? That ain't true. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have the gifts of the Spirit. They're the gifts of the Spirit. So you got to receive the Spirit. You can't earn them. You can't develop them. You can't purchase them. Remember, there's a guy in Acts 8, Simon, the sorcerer. He tried to buy uh, some, some, some spiritual gifts from the disciples. He wanted to do what they did. He wanted to cast out demons and all that stuff. Doesn't work. I think of that Christmas present from my story earlier, right? It wasn't mine until Christmas Day. And even then, that wasn't my gift. I didn't get the gift that I thought they should give me. I got the gift that the giver gave me. And so, but the gift doesn't come until Christmas Day. Well, your reception of the Holy Spirit is kind of like Christmas Day. 
and you get the gift uh, of the Spirit, and then whatever gifts you get beyond the gift of the Spirit, that is up to the giver, which is the Spirit himself, all right? But nobody receives spiritual gifts unless you have the Spirit first. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You don't belong to him, you don't get his gifts. So the Spirit comes first. Here's another word. Doma. Doma. Uh, The giving, and this, this refers to the gifting of people. The gifting of people to equip the church. The verse I want to show you here is Ephesians 4. Uh, eight, and then we're going to jump to 11. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. All right. And the word there for gifts is doma. Doma. And it means literally the thing that is given. That's what it means. So he gave gifts. Now, what kind of gifts are being referred to here in Ephesians 4? If you look at verse 11, here are the gifts. You ready? And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. What are these words? Those are people. Those are people. Now, you may have a version that says uh, he gave gifts to men, uh, and then it goes on and says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The word to be was not in the original manuscript. The gifts being spoken of are these individuals, these people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, all right? Now, do they, pertain, do they, do they possess gifts uh, that, that lend themselves to what they're being called here? Yeah, they have specific gifts, but the gifts that are being referred to are these individuals here. They are gifts to the church. For what purpose? It goes on to verse 12 and tells us. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? What do we call the body of Christ? That's the church. That's right. Until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. What does that all sound like? You know what that is? That's a mouthful. That's discipleship. That is discipleship right there. Sounds like these gifted people are given by God to the church to fill unique roles in accomplishing the prime directive of the church. What is the prime directive of the church? We call it the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all peoples. All right? That is what we are to do. That is the mission of TLC. And I'm excited about that. He says, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You've got to have shepherds and teachers so that we don't get askew because of crazy doctrine and teaching that might blow through here. Somebody's got a book or they heard some podcast or something like that. You need these people in the church. You need godly pastors who do the work uh, and, and you need evangelists to reach people with the true gospel, not a progressive false gospel. And so these people are gifts. Kind of like in the Old Testament, you had the same kind of concept, but in a different context. Uh, there were guys called Levites. And they had a role. They had a ministry. In Numbers 18.6, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. That word gift, Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And that passage right there, that word gift, In the Septuagint, in Greek, is this word doma, doma. And so there's always been this this paradigm that God has had, whereby there are specific people that are considered by God. They are appointed and empowered by God, and they are gifted uh, to, to his people, whether it be Israel or it be the church. All right? Doma. And we move on, and we got another word I want to introduce to you. It's the word merismas, merismos. All right, this refers in your notes to the deeds of the apostles. Uh, and, and these deeds proved that their message was from God. The apostles, they would just be considered regular Joes, except that they performed deeds that could only be attributed to God. And that gave them authority in the eyes of the people. And so if you look at 
Hebrews 2, you see this context where these deeds serve as a validation. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by what? Signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Merismos is the word used there for gifts. So the first time that people heard the message of eternal life was from Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus, he did and said things that could only be attributed to God. And when he ascended, who took his place? It was the apostles. And they followed in his footsteps and they performed miracles and uh, they, they spoke things and uh, they, they did signs and wonders as are mentioned here. And everything they did and said was done by the power of the Spirit. Merismos, all right? Another word that translates as gifts. Now, not all spiritual gifts that we're going to study fall into this category of signs and wonders and apostolic authority and all that. I just want to just see that that word means gift. But the fourth word I want to show you is really the word that, that is dominant uh, in what we're talking about over the next several weeks here. And it's this word, number four, charismata. Charismata. That's the plural of charisma. You've heard of charisma. All right? It's not what we think it means in the Bible. But charismata are special abilities given by the Spirit to every believer. To every believer. Now, it doesn't mean that we all have the same charismata, but we all have charismata. We all do. As Christians, we have these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. The same Spirit. Many gifts one spirit. We don't all have the same gifts, but we all get them from the same place. Okay? We're unique, but spiritually, we're unified. Same spirit. So, you've got a gift, at least one. You've got a gift. You, maybe you've got a bunch of gifts. When do you use your gift? Maybe you already know what your gift is, and you're like, Pastor Scott, I know what my gift is, but I don't use it. I, I, it's just for me. I, I know what my gift is, and that's enough for me. Well, that's a selfish outlook. And we need to eliminate a selfish perspective. I want you to understand a few things here. There are no private gifts. If God has gifted you, you need to use that gift. You need to use that gift in the right context. You need to understand that your spiritual gifts are for the benefit of others. You need to understand that your gifts are not merely for you to enjoy and to experience. That is a selfish point of view, you understand. Uh, I... That movie Spider-Man, what was the tagline of that movie? You remember that, anybody? With great power comes great responsibility. We got some nerds in here. I know we do. I believe it. Yeah, with great responsibility. You've got some power. You've got a gift. You've got maybe multiple gifts. There's responsibility that accompanies that. And so I want to talk now about some important things to remember about spiritual gifts. First of all, in your notes, they're not the same as natural talents or learned abilities. They're not natural talents or learned abilities. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's given. It's given. I've already talked about this. Where do they come from? They come from the Spirit. The spiritual gifts. Why is it important to know that they're not talents or learned abilities? Why is it important to know that they come only from the Spirit, not from you? Because you get a big head. Yeah. And Frank, you already got a big head. So, <laughs> no, we, we just, if, who would we attribute things to if we use our gifts and they're, they come from us? We, we would take all the credit. We can't do that. So, you know, let me ask you a question. We got a, a marvelous worship team. Do we not? We do, right? We got some talented singers. We got some talented musicians and instrumentalists up here. Are those gifts? Okay. Now, they're, they're gifts in the sense that ultimately every good gift comes from above, right? Did God gift them with, with the ability to do what they do? Sure he did. 
Are they spiritual gifts? No. No. What are we talking about? Spiritual gifts are not things that you have when you're born. They're things you receive when you're born again. Okay? And so while singing can be done and should be done to the glory of God, and we certainly see people with talent being used of God, we certainly people, uh, see people who, who have the hand of God on them as they use talent, all right? Singing uh, or other skill-related things, those are not spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts come from the Spirit, which you don't have until the moment of salvation. What about if someone's a good communicator, a good teacher? Well, teaching is a spiritual gift. But sometimes being a good communicator, which is a skill, can accompany a spiritual gift. Does that make sense? Absolutely it does. And so skills and talents can accompany, they can, they can develop one's use of a spiritual gift, but they themselves are not spiritual gifts, you understand. Uh, second thing I want you to understand, they're not the same as the fruits of the Spirit. They're not the same as the fruits. Some people get these confused. Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those are not the gifts of the Spirit. Let me do a little comparison for you. I want to show you. This is the, the comparison and the contrast between the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts. You see, the fruits of the Spirit are attitudes that you adopt. The gifts of the Spirit are activities that you engage in. The fruits cannot be, uh, that should be misused, not missed. Sorry about that. Should be misused. They cannot be misused, okay? Uh, the gifts of the Spirit can be misused. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that as we start to break these down over the next few weeks. You can misuse your gift, okay? Uh, then they can all be possessed by any believer, the fruits of the Spirit. Any believer can possess uh, the fruits of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, uh, believers can possess different gifts, but nobody has them all. There's not a single, there's no like super Christian that's got every single spiritual gift. Okay, I've ne- in fact, there are some gifts you rarely, rarely see, uh, you know, two of, of a particular gift in one human being. Very rarely will you see someone who has the gift of prophecy and mercy. Often you'll see a married couple, two Christians, one's a prophet, one's a mercy giver, because they tend to work well together, okay? But, but there's some gifts that are, are not common in one person, okay? And then there are, there's evidence of spiritual growth in the fruits of the Spirit, but there's usually, uh, but with the gifts of the Spirit, they are not evidenced as spiritual growth. In other words, you can have a gift and still be spiritually immature, You don't get your spiritual gift based on your maturity level. You get it based on the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Okay? The fruits of the Spirit are manifested as you mature, as you grow. The gifts of the Spirit become more evident, but they're there, regardless of your maturity level. Okay. So we're going to move on. I want you to know this, too, in your notes, that you don't don't pray and ask for the spiritual gifts. Some of you have done that. Lord, make make me a great whatever. Okay? But that's not how it works. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's up to the Spirit. It's up to the Spirit. It's not up to you. And you don't, you don't persuade him. All right? It's all a matter of his will. Okay? As much as I wanted that toy for Christmas, that was not mine. It didn't belong to me. It belonged to my brother. So the gift is up to the giver. Okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. All right? You don't choose your gift. God does what he does. He, he gives you uh, what he gives you, and it's in accordance with his design. You may want to be the best leader in the world, but if God has not gifted you as a leader, he's gifted you with, say, the gift of helping. That's your gift, okay? You're probably not going to be the greatest leader in the world if he's primarily gifted you with the gift of service or helps. Doesn't mean that your gift is, is, is not consequential. It just means that's how God gifted you. Uh, you might say, well, that's not fair, which is not the right mindset. It's not the right mindset at all. And by the way, we don't apply that mindset to anything but things like this. It's funny how we say God's not fair. We think about talent. Is it, is it fair that Josh Allen is a starting quarterback in the NFL and I'm not? 
Well, sure it is. He's got more talent than I do. I don't deserve to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, okay? Where did he get his talent, okay? I don't know. I don't know why God passed me over. He just did. He just did. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. That didn't work out. Um, by the way, I, this is not to say that if you don't have a gift, you don't have to do the activity associated with that gift. Some people are like, well, I don't have to evangelize because that's not my gift. <laughs> no, no, you're commanded to share your faith, gift or not. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying that some people have gifts that others don't. They're more inclined to operate, to walk in a certain activity than others are. But there are activities that we are all commanded to participate in, whether we are spiritually gifted in those areas or not, you understand. Uh, why can't you earn your gift? When I think about this word charismata, okay, what's the root of that word charis? Charis. Anybody know what charis means? It means grace. My sister's name is Charis. Her name means grace. Charismatic, charismatic, comes from charismata, okay? Charis is grace. So charismata, grace gifts. Grace gifts. Do you earn grace? You don't earn grace, do you? That's right. It's a gift. It's a free gift. So these are grace gifts. And then in your notes, every believer has at least one. You got at least one, okay? Nobody gets to say, well, I don't have any gifts. Oh, you do. You just, you just may not know what it is yet. May not know what it is. 1 Peter 4.10 is each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Varied, mean, meaning we have different gift sets, but each one has received a gift, at least one. All right, now how many gifts are there? Here's what I want to do with our time remaining tonight. There's several lists in Scripture. I'm going to walk through these. We're going to, we're going to get through these. You've got a bunch of numbers on your sheet. So get ready to fill in those blanks there, okay? We're going to read uh, six or seven passages, and I'm going to show you from Scripture as best I can an exhaustive list in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. Now, not everybody agrees on a definitive list, so that's why I'm going to go straight to Scripture. And there still may be some that people say, well, you missed such and such. Okay, all right, fair enough, but I'm going to do the best I can, okay? So let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I want to, I want to just start with the first two there. I want you to write Number one and number two, apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets. Now, these are those individuals that God gifted to the church. And specifically with these two, these are offices that are unique to the early church. To that beginning era in which the church was established. All right? So Ephesians 2 Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What is that? That's the church. And then in verse 20 it says, The church is built on the foundation. I would underline that word if you got this open in your Bible. The foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So he's our rock of ages. He's our cornerstone. Uh, so we're built upon the rock. So you got the rock, that's Jesus, and upon that rock is the foundation. Who's the foundation? The apostles and the prophets. They're the foundation, and on the foundation, the church is to be built. We're not talking about Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles. These are two different types of individuals. They were offices that were held in the early days of the church, as it was being established, apostles and prophets, gifted people that God used to lay the foundation for his glorious church. If you read Matthew, uh, Christ is there, Caesarea uh, Philippi, he's there with the disciples. He says, who do people say I am? They, they say, well, some say you're Moses, Elijah, one of the prophets. He looks at Peter, who do you say I am? Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, you are Petros, little rock. And upon this rock, talking about himself, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail 
against it. And if you go to the back of your Bible to Revelation, verse 14 of chapter 21, talking about the new Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven in the eternal state, it says in the wall of the city, this is the heavenly city, the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Is that a number that we've seen in the New Testament? 12. Mm. 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Those guys were foundational for the church and they are foundational for the heavenly city in the eternal state. And so in the New Testament, we see various kinds of apostles. We see the 12, capital T. Uh, in Acts 1, you get a list of the 12. It says, and when they entered, they went up to the upper room. This is after the ascension. They're in Jerusalem on Pentecost. It says, uh, you got Peter and John and James, the sons of thunder. Those guys were brothers. Uh, James was called James the Greater because there were two Jameses. Then you got Andrew. That's Peter's brother. You got Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, a.k.a. Nathaniel from uh, early part of John. You got Matthew, the tax collector. You got James, the son of Alphaeus. He, he's also known as James the Lesser. How'd you like to be known as James the Lesser? That's, that's no good. And Simon the Zealot, Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the son of James. That's not the bad Judas. This is the one also called Thaddeus right here. So how many is that? That's, that's 11. Okay, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas, a.k.a. Thaddeus. You got 11. How come only 11? Because the, the bad Judas went to his own, you know, necktie party. So they had to replace him. How'd they replace him? They cast lots. There were two guys in the running. The qualifications were you had to have seen the risen Christ, eyewitness, had to have been around with the group under that teaching. And so they came down to two guys, a guy named Matthias guy named Barsabbas. And the lot fell on Matthias. Poor Barsabbas. You never see his name again in Scripture. So Matthias was Judas' replacement. So those are the 12. And there's a movement today that is trying to reinstate the office of apostle. And it's a dangerous thing because often those trying to claim an apostolic office are looking for authority equal to these 12 guys. And that is authority that God does not recognize anymore. The age of the apostle in terms of authority is over. When John died, he was the last apostle. When John died after his time on, on Patmos in exile, the age of the apostles was done. So you see the 12 in the New Testament. You also see, some say, well, what about Paul? Okay, Paul was a special apostle. He was not one of the 12. Some people say, well, that's who they should have replaced Judas with, and they got hasty, and they, they put Matthias in there. Disagree. I think Matthias had every right to be there, and I think that because Paul recognized him. Paul recognized the 12, and he did not count himself among the 12. He was a special apostle to the Gentiles chosen directly by Christ himself. Called him out on the road to Damascus. Saul, why do you persecute me? Blinded him, about killed him, knocked him off his horse, sent him to Damascus to meet with Ananias where he received Christ. And then later he was matured and sent out. So he was an apostle. He had authority. And then you got various small a apostles in the New Testament. Uh, the brother of Christ, James. You got Barnabas, Timothy, Andronicus, Junius, Epaphroditus, Titus. And all those guys had authority. And then you've got some various prophets that are mentioned in the New Testament. A guy named Agabus and Judas and Silas uh, who hung out with Paul, okay? And then you got the church at Antioch filled with prophets. The church at Corinth had some prophets, okay? And so all of these guys were during that first century as the church was being established and they served as a foundation. And the primary function of prophets and apostles included preaching, Teaching, performing signs and wonders. They exercised authority in the early church. They revealed truth. They wrote scripture. Not all of them, but many of them wrote what became your Bible, your New Testament. They made disciples and they were the foundation. Now let me ask you, how many times do you have to lay a foundation? One time. Are we still laying a foundation today? No, foundation was laid. These guys were the foundation. Foundation only is laid once. And so all, that's a lot 
on those first two. I'm not going to spend that much time on the rest of them. You're like, we got a lot of numbers to get through, Pastor Scott. I know. So let's go back to verse 11. So you got the prophets, the apostles, you got the evangelists. So I want you to write in number three, evangelism. Evangelism. Evangelistes, uh, all right. You got the shepherds and teachers. Now that's one gift because that word and ties them together. Poimen and didaskalos in the Greek there. They come together as one. One gift, and that we call shepherding. Some call it the pastor-shepherd gift. It's a pastoral gift. I'm going to teach you on all of these individually in the weeks ahead. All right, I want you now to move to Romans 12. I'm going to show you another passage, and we'll get some more gifts out of this. So in Romans 12, verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And here they are. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. So number five is the gift of prophecy. So this is different from the office of prophet. It's the gift of prophecy. You say, how's it different? You'll, you'll learn. I'm going to show you. Not tonight. Propheteia is what that is. And then verse seven, if service in our serving. So that's the gift of service or helps. Okay? I'm going to explain every one of these gifts. And then it says, uh, in, the one who teaches in his teaching. So that is the gift of teaching, okay? And then it says in verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. So number 8 is exhortation or counseling. If you don't know what that is, that's counseling, the gift of counseling. Uh, Pariklesis. Uh, it says in generosity. So that is, uh, that is giving. I'd call that giving. Some like to call that the gift of generosity. My only beef with that word is when you say you're generous, there's a connotation there of I, I, like, to, I like to be generous with what is mine. I, I kind of feel like that word uh, speaks of what you possess. Giving is a different thing. So this is, it's a broader term. You give one to another. You can also give to God, it's, there's a stewardship component in there. I just like the word giving. You want to write generosity, I ain't mad at you. I'm just saying I like giving. Anyway, and it says the one who leads with zeal. So leadership is a gift. Okay? Proistemi. Uh, and then the one who does acts of mercy. Mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, that is uh, the 11th gift. Mercy. Not my wife's gift. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's not in the room tonight. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. The utterance of wisdom. So, number 12, we're getting into some sign gifts. Very interesting topic, okay? Uh, I can't wait to explain these, and I know some of you are very excited to hear what these are, but I, I call that the word of wisdom. Uh, Logos Sophia is the, uh, the Greek there. Uh, to another, the utterance of knowledge. And so this is the word of knowledge. Knowledge. How are those different? I'm going to show you. Logos Gnosis is what that is. According to the same spirit, verse 9, to another, faith. That's a gift. Gift of faith. You say, well, I came by faith to salvation in Christ. This is not that. That is saving faith. This is a gift of faith. Different. Everybody is saved by faith. Not everybody has the spiritual gift that we call faith. Pistis. Uh, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Healing. Iyama. So we're going to talk about healing. Okay. Uh, to another, the working of miracles. Miracles is a gift. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to den denote what that means. Energemadunamas. In the Greek, to another prophecy, we've already talked about that, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's what we call spiritual discernment, diakrasis pneuma, to, to, to spiritually discern. Very good gift, interesting gift. I do believe my wife has this gift. I really do. Uh, I trust her. I'm glad she has this gift as a pastor, for sure, because I trust her judgment. She's a quick study. She just knows things. It's crazy. Uh, another various kinds of tongues. We're going to spend a little time on that. Explain that. Uh, glossa in the Greek, tongues. And there's a, there's a gift connected with the usage of tongues. And without this second gift, the first gift is useless. 
So if you don't have somebody with this other gift, don't be exercising the first one, and it's the interpretation of tongues. Because somebody's got to know what the heck you're talking about. All right? All right, so that's list three. Hold your hand up if you're still writing. <laughs> okay, hold your hand up if I made you mad because I moved too quick and you still got blanks on your notes. Oh, good. Either, either that's true or you all have the gift of mercy. All right? All right. So that gets us through uh, 19. Now, by the way, I just covered some sign gifts. We're going to cover sign gifts. Sign gifts are uh, referred to by some as supernatural gifts, okay? Uh, I don't like to call them supernatural gifts because they come from the Holy Spirit, so they're all supernatural. I don't think any one gift is, is more supernatural than another. It's the purpose of the gift that denotes, that gives it, gives it a category. And so these are sign gifts, and they often have to do, in, in the New Testament, a lot of them have to do with authority. But there are some sign gifts here. And I will tell you that sign gifts are inferior. They're inferior to other gifts. They get more attention, but they are not as important. And that's just not my opinion. Paul says this. Okay? All right. Last, well, not the last, list number four. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It says, and God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. So apostles, this is not the office of apostle. The context here is something we call apostleship. Uh, the context is missions. It's a missions context. So if someone is a missionary, this is a gift that they have. Uh, third, uh, second prophets, we've already talked about. Third, teachers, talked about it. Miracles, got it. Gifts of healing, yes. Helping, yes. Administrating. Administration, number 21, Kubernetes. Um, some believe that uh, service is mentioned. Uh, where is service mentioned? Oh, sorry, that's for the next point there. But some believe actually administration and leadership are the same gift. I believe it's a different term. We've already mentioned leadership. Administration, the reason I say it's a different term is because the word in Greek is different from the word for leadership. And so I'll explain the difference between these two. All right, let's move on. 1 Peter 4, verse 9, show hospitality to one another. Okay, this is a gift, number 22, hospitality, uh, without grumbling. And we know it's a gift and not just because you got people that are hospitable. There are lost people that are hospitable. That's not the same as this. This is clearly a spiritual gift, and I know it is because it moves on in verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift. The context here is spiritual gifts. And so hospitality in the Greek is uh, philohenos, loving strangers, okay? Phileo, love. It's an expression of love toward another person, even a stranger. Hospitality, Okay? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Um, that we've already covered. To speak oracles of God would be covered under some of the word gifts, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, or the gift of tongues. Any of those could qualify. This could be a, a header that under which multiple gifts could fall. It says... Uh, one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Serving is already covered. We've covered service before. Look at now 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. This is Paul talking. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul never married. And so what is this gift? This is the gift, number 23, of celibacy. Now, I have taught on spiritual gifts in, uh, in, a, in many a young adult's Bible study. And when I talk about this gift, there is a look of panic <laughs> that sweeps across the room. All the young singles are like, dear, please, Lord, do not give me this gift. They don't want to be single forever. And I always tell them, look, don't worry about that. If you have the gift of celibacy, you won't mind it. Because I firmly believe that there is a passion that is associated with every gift. You will love your gift. You will love your gift, okay? Now, are there people who remain single that are not possessing of the gift of celibacy? Yes. 
Yes, there are. Okay? But there are people, and I've met some, that have this gift. And God is able to use them. I know a missionary who's got this gift. He's never married. He was, I mean, not for lack of opportunity. There were young ladies throwing themselves at this guy when he was a younger man. He's very handsome. He's a very manly guy. Okay? He just never had any desire to be married. You know what he had a desire to do? To go and to plant churches and make disciples. That, that was his passion. And God has used him to do that. And he's able to use him as a celibate man, as he did the Apostle Paul. And that's why Paul says, I wish all were as I am. Now, obviously, not all of us could be as Paul was. Or there wouldn't be us very long, right? <laughs> there wouldn't be a population, right? But someone who has that gift thinks it's great. And so don't be scared of this gift. God is sovereign, and he distributes to whomever he will. Now, there's, a, there's another gift. It's the converse of this gift. And so it's, it's logically there, and it's number 24, in your notes, it's marriage. That's a gift. It is a gift to be married. Now, I do think that there are some people who are married that do not have the gift of marriage. I mean it. I think there are some people who ought never be married, and yet they, they go get married anyway. And uh, what God has brought together, he wants no one to separate, so don't get divorced, but I'm just saying... I, I think that there's some people that are not, they are not gifted by God toward that. But this is the converse of Paul's gift right here. All right, and then you've got list number seven coming out of Mark 16, verse 17. It says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. All right, so number 25, deliverance. Very controversial gift today. Hot topic in our community, I know. Casting out demons. You say, are you sure that's a gift, Pastor Scott? Absolutely. Why? Because demons are real. And sometimes they require casting out. Now, it, does this happen as often as is purported to happen? I don't believe so. I think some people have made a cottage industry out of this. I hesitate to call it deliverance because of the baggage associated with that term and people who have misused this and misappropriated this and have errant theology surrounding their practice of deliverance. And I'm going to talk more at length about deliverance when we get there. But it is a spiritual gift. But it's also, it's also in the category of signed gifts. And I'm going to talk about how that category is different from other categories. Okay? And then you've got this. This is crazy, right? It says, they will speak in new tongues. We've already covered that. Verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands. And they will, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And this is called the gift of physical protection. Physical protection. You say, how do I know if I have this gift? Let me urge you not to try to figure that out. <laughs> All right? But we know it's a gift. Paul demonstrates this in Acts 28. But they are signs. Okay, God also bore witness by signs and wonders. We already read in Hebrews. So please understand, all these gifts are not equal. They are not equal, nor are they all practical at all times. Some gifts can be exercised at any moment. Okay, if your gift is evangelism, you can evangelize any moment. If your gift is giving, you can give at any moment. If your gift is teaching, you can teach. That's your ongoing gift. Not everybody practices the gift of physical protection at all times. This is something God empowers to be done as he apportions, all right? Now, just to close out here, there are some gifts in the Old Testament that we read about, the gift of craftsmanship uh, in Exodus 28. God tells Moses, you shall speak to all the skillful whom I filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garment. So they were able to craft these ornate priestly garbs um, and it was not something that these were not seamstresses and tailors that were just good at what they did God filled them with the spirit to do this uh, in Exodus we meet a guy named Bezalel Lord said to Moses I've called by name Bezalel son of Uri son of Hur the tribe of Judah I filled him with the spirit of God with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship this guy was not you know Bob Vila but God empowered him to build the Ark of the Covenant. I think he was just a regular guy. And God just said, you have this knowledge. And he did it. And he used him in other instances, okay? 
But, but this was something that came from God. You see music exercised as a gift. David was able to do what no one else was able to do, to soothe Saul with music and things like that. Now, in the New Testament, you don't see instances with these gifts. You don't see somebody get saved and suddenly they can sing like Andrea Bocelli. You don't see that. Believe me, my wife wishes that I, I would turn into Bob Vila. She would love that. If I had that gift, that would be great. But it's not something that we see. Now, how am I to learn my gift, Pastor Scott? Well, let me, let me just say there's a lot of ways that you can go about this. Many of you know there are spiritual gift tests that exist out there. I think those are fine. Uh, I don't live and die with those things. They are tools. They are tools. They are not the last word. Um, it's good to get the conversation started, get you thinking about something. Now, some people can game those tests. They're really good at taking those tests. They've taken 15 of them, and they want the gift of, of uh, leadership. And so they know how to answer the questions just right so that they score high in leadership. They can tell people, I have the gift of leadership. And uh, so you can misuse a test, but they're tools. Here's the best way. By the way, I think, I think a very good, the best spiritual gift test I've come across is the one that they use in Next Steps. Next Steps is our um, onboarding process for people to learn about the church and how you're gifted and you know how you can plug into community. You can learn about what we believe and teach here, core doctrines, learn about our church model and all of that stuff and get connected. And uh, I, I think it's great for anybody, no matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how long you've attended this church, and you could sign up to join Next Steps. It's only three weeks, but included in that is a spiritual gifts inventory, and it's the best one I've ever come across. And so if you want to do that, I think that'd be a really awesome thing to do just to get started thinking about it. But the more solidified you are as you begin to serve, you begin to plug into the total body life of this community of believers and you are serving, and you are forming relationships, and the people around you who are also indwelled with the Spirit are observing you serve God, and they're taking note of the gifts at work in you. And they can be very helpful in informing you of your gift or your gift mix. And so those are some, that's a good way to start if you want to know what your gift is, all right? So I'm very excited about us uncovering what our gifts are, learning more in detail about the various gifts mentioned in Scripture. We're going to walk through each gift that I've talked about tonight. But you've got a starting list, okay? Did I miss one? Eh, maybe. But I hit the ones that are clear, I believe, in Scripture. And so we're going to walk through those, shed more light on those uh, a little bit at a time. My prayers, we get through this this month. If we don't, I'll come back in January and we'll finish it up. But we're going to cover every single gift. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group. I, I just pray, God, that this is the beginning of an exciting journey where they learn how to uh, maximize the potential that you've placed within them, God, to walk in their identity, to walk in the gifting that you've granted them, and to be used to accomplish your purpose. And we pray your blessing upon everybody here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.